Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 6, The Good, the Bad, and the Foolish. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. The work of building my temple is so substantial that it takes a full seven years once it started. If you want to see resonance with the very first set of seven in creation and the complete fullness that might be carried by that connection, along with a sense of our initiating a new or at least somewhat upgraded creation of sorts, feel free to do so. Solomon spends the first four years of his reign gathering resources, so he's been ruling a full 11 years when all this happens. And as long as he's gathered all these fine materials and got all the work teams going, Solomon puts a few more projects on their to-do list. A new palace of his own an expansion of Jerusalem and its walls, the fortification of strategic border cities, then other cities purposed for the storage and protection of all the materials, weapons, treasure, etc., required for so glorious a kingdom and king. There's a whole lot of building going on, to be sure. Solomon's renown of both his accomplishments and wisdom crosses lands and seas. He sends out ships in a three-year excursion cycle to bring back fair and exotic items, from the purest gold and ivory to apes and baboons from distant places. He amasses large numbers of horses and chariots, the cutting-edge warfare technology of his habitat. Feel free to look up Deuteronomy 20, verse 1, to find out my feelings about this development. Solomon creates for himself a great throne of ivory and gold atop a six-step dais, with a lion at each end of each step to represent the twelve tribes of Israel. Rulers come from far and wide to consult with the wise king of Israel, each of them adding to Solomon's bounty with their gifts of spices, gold, precious stones, and so on. One such ruler is the queen of Sheba, who has heard of how we have blessed Solomon in all these ways, and comes to see it all for herself. After plying Solomon with every difficulty she can imagine, and I bless him with an explanation to every last question, and after she also sees the splendor of my temple, Solomon's home, the manner of the people, and their worship of me in said temple, she is overwhelmed by it all. To her great credit, this woman, another from far outside Israel who knows little of our journey with them, gives us the credit for all she has witnessed. Praise be to Yahweh your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of Yahweh's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. That's in 1 Kings 10, 9, 2 Chronicles 9, 8. This is exactly how it's all supposed to work. These are the glory days we have been working towards. Thanks to my allowance of this temple, people have me on their radars again, aiming their prayers to me through my house, 
offering all the sacrifices in all the categories I prescribed long ago with Moses. The priests and Levites are humming in their work, some of them literally. The annual feasts are being observed, the nation's borders are set in their promised pleasant places, and bounty seems to flow from the throne of Solomon into the streets of Jerusalem and out down the roads through to the rest of the country. All these blessings are for the benefit not only of my children, but to fulfill their destiny I set for them back in Exodus 19.6 as an entire kingdom of priests pointing the whole world in my direction. Solomon just acknowledged this as he requested that we maintain the cause of our people Israel so that all the peoples of the earth may know that I am God. That was 1 Kings 8.60. The Queen of Sheba has just followed the exact path for which we have blessed our people and our king, and has publicly acknowledged our greatness as well as the greatness of our love for our children. It's a defining, powerful moment. This pattern of my love and care for my children being so clear to those who are not on the way yet that they investigate further to find out more about me because of how much I love you is how it's supposed to work now. The defining powerful moment with the Queen of Sheba has come and gone. Like all such moments, it doesn't last. We've noted that we've been blessing Solomon on every level, and his wealth and strength have been building all along. As Solomon has been accumulating his fortune, he has also been amassing a treasure of another kind. Wives. Solomon loves women, all kinds of women. As the king, he can afford practically a limitless size to his household in terms of how many mouths he can feed, and Solomon breaks every record in the book. And rule as in breaks the rule. Well, not every rule, but he breaks plenty of rules, even as he tries to play things by the book. Called in my law to not lay with a woman outside the covenant of marriage, Solomon weds the women he wants to have, and he wants a lot of them. Hundreds, in fact. Oh, he rationalizes many of his marriages, the majority, in fact, as political in nature, taking as wife princesses from neighboring kingdoms. These princess brides act both as peace treaties with their father's kingdoms and as symbols of power to other kingdoms. The more princesses you're married to, the more alliances you have. The more alliances you have, the more powerful you must be. In fact, the first wife he marries is so motivated and comes early in his reign, well before the construction projects begin. It's mentioned in passing in the owner's manual in 1 Kings 3, with clear indication of his political incentive. It's plainly stated without any fanfare, but anyone who's been on the way with us since we began this process will recognize the surprising nature of Solomon's first choice, this first princess he decides to marry, the daughter of Pharaoh. Yes, that Pharaoh. Generations removed now, but yes, that Pharaoh. 
Imagine our excitement. Then, after years pass in the building of my temple and his palace and cities and strongholds and so on, the fun fact is dropped that in the interim Solomon has established a household of one thousand wives. You heard right. Not to be outdone by any of his peers' harems, Solomon, who has the most wealth and wisdom in the known world, also has the most wives. He has to, doesn't he? Obviously he thinks so, and these are not all solely for political gain. As if that would make it acceptable. Solomon's motives are more clear when noting that three hundred of his wives are concubines from whom no political benefit is derived. Aside from what your habitat would label a sexual addiction on his part, here's the deeper core of Solomon's folly. He is trying to have what everyone in the other nations around him has, and surpass them to boot, but in a way that somehow stays on the way and fits within the boundaries I've prescribed for my children for their own good. He's attempting to synthesize the ways of the nations with mine. However, this defies the very reasons for which I've made my commands in this arena. Solomon has chosen to abide by some of my commands, such as no bed until you're wed, while ignoring other very important ones. Exodus 34, 10-16 sums up my pertinent commands and reasons for them quite nicely. Take that as homework. He's ignoring my very important commands with regard to whom he should be marrying. I am specifically referring to my commands to refrain from marriage to those who worship other gods. Obviously, Solomon's a smart fellow, almost too smart for his own good. You see, in his pursuit of political and sexual diversity, he tries to go as far as he can without crossing a technical line he thinks I've drawn. Sound familiar? Oh, you can bet we'll get to that in a minute. For now, though, if you look at my command that covers this important territory, we even provide a list in Exodus 34, 10-16 of nations with which to avoid marriage. The ites you would expect, the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now, listen closely and compare that inventory to the list of nationalities of Solomon's princess brides in 1 Kings 11. Egyptian, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite. If you look at a map at the same time, it would appear that Solomon has very carefully not taken wives from nations named in my command in Exodus, but has managed to marry someone from practically every other nation that surrounds his kingdom. And in so doing, Solomon has totally missed the point. The point of the command in Exodus was that marrying someone outside of Israel who worships another god is very bad business indeed. It wasn't just that brides from those specific kingdoms could lead one astray. It was that any spouse coming from a habitat that believes in and worships any other god is going to spell major heartbreaking trouble. 
the influence of a wife uprooted from her home cannot be underestimated, and a man in love can be easily persuaded to bend in the way she desires in order to make her more comfortable, as in perhaps having her do the decorating, which will naturally include a shrine to Dagon or Baal or Ashtoreth, whomever she had a shrine to in her home growing up. And then, honey, why don't you ever say prayers with me? I thought you loved me. For heaven's sake, we even embed the very dire consequence of worshipping other gods right there in the command. And we have been clearer than crystal with Solomon about the need for his exclusivity with us. And so, of all the people who've ever lived, this man should be steering clear of the corrupting influence of foreign wives. But what does he do? He marries so many of them that even if only 10% of them try to get him to notice their hometown deities, not that they'd each have their own kind, a lot of them would be worshipping the same god like Ashtoreth, which means the wives of one particular denomination could actually team up on him, making matters even worse. Solomon's going to have 100 wives trying to persuade him to see things their way if just 10% of the original thousand do so. And they're not trying to get him to stop worshipping me, just to add their own god to his worship. In that sense, these gals might as well have been raised in your own habitat. You see, they didn't think their god, be it Ashtoreth, Baal, Chemosh, or Molech, was the only god. They thought there were others, but theirs was their home base of sorts, and it was fine to worship more than one, like we processed back in Egypt and elsewhere, to worship more than one to hedge their bets and cover various territories and specialties. The fancy word for it is pluralistic. However you look at things and whatever god you want to worship is fine. Just don't tell me there's anything wrong with my God, which obviously ends up in conflict with my claims to be the one and only. The exact thing happening then with Solomon and his pluralistic wives is now in your life with those around you who may not worship Molech, but certainly spend their lives in ways that betray their primary faith in career, success, pleasure, notoriety, the list goes on and on. They don't tell you that you need to stop worshipping me, at least most don't. They just try to convince you to add their particular god to your menu. Pleasure and power are the Ashtoreth and Baal of your habitat. And if you're trying to see how far you can go in the world's direction before you cross the boundaries I've set for you in order to protect you, your heart is already quite lost, friend. Reel it in and point it back to me and get your precious behind back on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. 
We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.